Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Algamy Consulting. Today, I'm excited to have two guests joining me, Tan Bevan, CEO of Greencoat Capital, and Luke Jacobs, co-founding partner of Algamy Consulting and former CEO of Aviva Investors. A fun question before we start. Inspired by the fact that we're having a lockdown and uh, the ESG uh, agenda uh, is uh, higher than it was. And I know, Tan, you're passionate about both that and cycling, which I think is maybe a little bit of an understatement. I've been shown up by your standard cycling. And of course, we have Luke, who's a Dutchman, so to cycle before he could walk. My question for you for the end of this uh, podcast is where would we go for a cycle? And of course, every cycle should involve some coffee and hopefully some cake. If you could think about that for the end of the podcast. Right. Have you got your coffees ready? Because I'm, I'm Nespresso'd up, as always. Uh, I can see, because yes. we are once again on Zoom. What is that you got in your hand? I'm a, I've got a, actually, barley cup, thanks to Luke introducing me to uh, non-coffee coffee. And Luke, what have, we, what have we got today? I have it in a, in a cup that says uh, from the Imperial War Museum, keep calm and carry on. So as we are in week nine, we keep calm and we carry on. It's a nice segue into today's topic, COVID-19. Never in the history of the industry has BCP plans been invoked in the extent that we've seen over the last few months. As the world is coming out of confinement, COVID-19 uncertainty remains strong. And we're going to have a look at, is the industry required to stay in BCP mode for the foreseeable future? In other words, is BCP becoming the BAU? Looking forward to uh, listening to your observations on that. Really, what have you seen and what lessons we learned from that? And really, I think the crux of this topic is going to be, is this the future for asset management in terms of the, the BCP plans that have been put in place? companies that I've seen in the asset management industry that have invoked their BCP have been, I think overall, that has been quite successful. There have been some, uh, let's say, hiccups, but not that many. I think they related uh, from what I've seen more to the availability of hardware, connections, security around it. But uh, that will have been the main uh, challenges, I think, uh, for companies. Clearly, I'll say on a people's level, I'm sure there have been uh, many, many other challenges. I don't know if you've come across something else, uh, Tan. Um, but I do think it depends on where you're coming from, like what's your starting base. I mean, we have such a, a broad spectrum of, of firms that were technologically sophisticated in terms of, you know, their ability to hot desk or, you know, travel, remote work, all the security and all the controls that go through all of that, you know, we know a lot of users now have bring your own device so they can actually work from their own devices, iPads and things like that, just the normal course of business. And, and a company like ours, for example, our entire infrastructure is cloud-based. So we're lucky that for us, it was just a matter of a week getting sorted and, and we're back to effectively normal working, just albeit not in the office. I think for some firms that didn't really have that structure in place, it probably was a lot more challenging to just like deal with all those things that you've just mentioned. Maybe you can give us a little bit of flavour of what you have encountered in terms of BCP or your the responsibilities of a COO and how, how that works in terms of uh, your day-to-day functioning. I think Greencoat Capital is a, a renewable energy assets company. They're one of, probably one of the biggest investment firms investing in wind in the UK, for example, and we're fast becoming one of the top solar farm investors as well, expanding into Europe. So our... Um, challenges around BCP were really 
different to what you would normally get in just a standard office. We had to think about our asset managers, the technical asset managers that have to go on site and work on the assets. So we had to think not just about where we could remotely work, but, but how that manifested into their safety, the safety of the people on the ground operating the equipment, doing the maintenance, which you know is generally outsourced. And, and how we then integrate those processes into making sure that the investors in our funds actually feel confident that we're on top of those health and safety risks and that the value of their assets is going to continue to be looked after. And it was just, it, it was a lot of communications challenges amongst our people as well as with investors. So it just, it brought about a lot of things that you wouldn't normally put in a plan. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was very um, challenging. You had to be very dynamic and very thoughtful and very inclusive of people's feedback to actually get the right decisions coming out of it which was when you think about bcp plans in the past they've always been pretty much a run book you know and it's very technical and it's been very much about putting people in the right places this was a whole different can of worms yeah i think that's a very interesting uh, observation tom because i must say didn't even necessarily directly think of that and especially uh, let's say in the alternative sphere of of investments wind solar etc we take for granted it is the maintenance and uh, of those assets is is outsourced but it's still part of the investment offering ultimately i had a little quiz question i was going to ask because i think for a lot of people who aren't involved in in doing the bcp for most people that their experience or if you quiz them on what bcp was it's well i once a year, I have to take a train down to somewhere like Croydon or West London to a, a dusty old office, go in, check my login works, find it doesn't, ring up the tech team and, and make sure that works. And then there's, you hear BCP, but then you also hear disaster recovery. Mm. And they're, probably they're often used interchangeably if, you don't have, if you're not responsible. Luke, if you want to give an idea what your view is of the difference between the two, um, I've cheated and already looked this up before the podcast. But, <laughs> And whether are we currently in a disaster or is this just BCP? Because disasters are often associated with, you know, things like 9-11, where literally the whole building went down and, and people had to go to other sites, whereas this was, this had a more, we saw this coming and there was a plan. Good question. And, I, and I'm not sure if I have a, a, a direct answer to it, to either of the two of them. But in that sense, for me, it is probably not disaster because that structs in one moment and you have to deal with a lot of things, a fire in your office or, or a complete system going down from one minute to the other. So it was not something like that. But nevertheless, this was more a, a gradual event but that had such an impact on the way of working that we probably never had envisaged. Well, I think that, you know, that's a, for me, my, my BCP is, I've, the definition is I have is a, a BCP is a plan to continue business operations. And that's essentially what Tan has described. And the DR is really the plan for accessing technology infrastructure in a disaster. And for me, this is, you know, your DR is part of that, um, but it's particularly important given our reliance on technology in, in asset management. So then, Don, did you, did you concur with that? Or? You sort of take an even more distinct line on it, actually. We definitely call disaster recovery a technology reboot, if you will, and getting something back up and running. And in our firm, we don't have to because it's all cloud-based now. So I think you'll, I think you'll find DR over time becoming less of the concern 
So BCP will become the most material element of that. And even that will become more smooth because you will find that you're not having to, with so much more cloud-based technology, the ability now that's been triggered to uh, for a lot more people to remotely work, you actually will find that BCP plans become not as a material change. It, you know, it's not a big step jump when something does happen. We'll be a lot more adept as, as an industry and, and the technology is going to become more relevant now in terms of cloud. But that, that brings them exactly up, I think, uh, disaster recovery or BCP, because if we are so dependent on cloud and that is delivered by somebody somewhere, mm-hmm. how will we react when that cloud doesn't work anymore? Because that is, that is then that's moving into our new disaster recovery or business continuity and that will probably get new considerations as to how we understand that, how are we going to deal with that. I'm definitely not a cyber uh, security specialist, but I, I think it moves probably a lot more attention and focus as to how we can manage that. I think it, it probably brings two things to the fore. That, and as you mentioned, we're actually by default, creating a source of single point of failure through the cloud providers. And, and effectively, we've outsourced the problem. The risk doesn't go away. It just moves. It's a bit like sauce, squeezing the sausage, isn't it? And, you know, we've seen that in our industry about so many different things in terms of, you know, even after the crisis, we saw the whole OTC clearing thing. It was, you know, central counterparties. Was, we tried to kind of put them all in place. Again, it was squeezing the sausage to just have a central point. It's the same thing technologically with the cloud-based providers. The question of the topic really is, is BCP going to become the new BAU? And if there is this risk, you know, the, the security offers in, in the, especially in the bigger asset managers and the financial services have always been very keen to keep a tight, tight arms around cybersecurity. Is it a question of, okay, well, you did this to get through the pandemic, but actually we're going to rein in some of this sort of freedom that we've given you just to ensure that we continue servicing clients because actually the risk of cybersecurity will outweigh the, the benefits of flexibly working from home or any of the other things which maybe have been seen as a long-term operating model, as it were. Do you think those are going to be reined back in or is it a question of people then it's a good place to be in cybersecurity and people are going to start developing applications which are a lot more robust than, than Zoom Microsoft Teams will have to be beefed up and everything else in terms of access to systems and data within the company. I think you could break it down into a couple of things, right? You could actually say, where where are your weak spots where you will need experts? But the other weak spot is probably awareness and an understanding by the bulk of your employees. I think this has been a wake-up call for companies and individuals themselves and how important it is for them to get up to speed on understanding the technology, the the use of it and the risks around it. We might find that training of security and use of of devices in certain locations and conditions is is a massive thing that we're going to have to invest in and making sure that all of our employees are much more sophisticated at using tech than they ever have been. But on the other side, I think you'll see a lot more advances in cybersecurity from the infrastructure side. So the experts and the specialists would come more and more sophisticated. I think we won't ever get ahead of the criminals and the, the bad people, the bad guys trying to get in to our systems and, and hack. trying to keep up with them is just going to be a constant race. I think there's a, going to be a lot more focus on the need to at least be up there 
and yeah. investing in that a lot more than they have in the past. Agree with that. But the other thing that happens is basically decentralizing as to where people work and, and how they work with it and which hardware where they use for it, uh, their, their own phones, uh, etc. And then you quite quickly get into elements of uh, compliance. When your dealers are not in the office, how do you monitor them uh, properly? So the, the, there is a centralizing towards technology cloud, but a decentralizing almost to, to the use of, of it. And I could imagine that that, let's say, brings, brings its own measurements, monitoring, etc. without camera in the house of your employees but but there is a certain element of monitor that will change let's say in the office people can only use the office phone and that one is recorded etc when people are home they have their own phone their mobile phone uh, you can provide them a company phone but how do you ensure that that everything is uh, let's say business-wise is done through the facilities you you've offered to your staff i think it's, it might be detailed but when you think of compliance when you think of conflicts of interest that could all play a role in in how that is set up and how you organize that decentralization that really touches on people's um, personal rights as well where we're seeing this blurring of the lines between what's the company sort of mandate and remit and what's the social social and and employment contract that permits you to to embed yourself so much into an individual's life it's a trade-off between the flexibility of working from home which i think has become accepted as going to be the new normal there is definitely something you have to give up in terms of your privacy um, potentially in order for that to work uh, at the the kind of secure level that people inside the organization would want that, that assumes everybody wants to work from home. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Agree. Yeah. A lot of people do, and I, and I think you could even argue that a lot of people that say they would like to wouldn't like to do it every day of the week forever. So it, it is it is finding the new norm. I think COVID has just created that challenge about it's, it's actually enforced upon us. We've had to deal with it just for the sake of it, but I don't know if that will persist, and I don't think we'll let it go too much further. In terms of society, I don't think we'll allow companies to embed themselves so much too much more to me very close to that awareness uh, element of people yes you are working from home it is just a different space than when you were previously in the office and you have to do your work within limit if it's limitations but in the within the same kind of regulatory environment as you as if you were in the office and i think it's awareness and even at home, you understand what is work, what is, what is my privacy. That touches on a lot of the mental health sort yeah. of aspects of it, right? We've, that's been a big one for us, and I think every company is probably realising how important it is to, to think about that and, and engage with people and make sure they're okay. And we're constantly focusing on that. We've got a, a small business and, and, and a great team and a fairly diverse profile of people, and it, it is a constant theme for us to just constantly be checking in, thinking about the implications of everything we do from that perspective. I don't think companies can operate um, at the intensity that indefinitely. I mean, even in the workforce generally, you sort of have ebbs and flows. You can't hold people operating at 100, 150% constantly. They, They will start to crack, you know, and so I think we have to find a way through this sort of remote structure to allow the peaks and troughs without letting the troughs get too low. 
and, and without holding the, the peaks too long. In that sense, Don, I think uh, these uh, coffee meets, when they're in the office, they are the moments where you can take a, a breath, have some time slightly less formal. But equally, uh, they function, I think, in companies also a little bit as, as the oil for making things, uh, things happening. It's more concentrated, isn't it? That you miss that, that cohesion is, is really, really important to a culture. Given all that, Tan and Luke, um, what are you personally or individually looking forward to uh, at the end of this crisis? Different scenery for me. <laughs> not, not having the walls of my home to look at all the time. No, I think, I think it's that it's just learning a little bit more about some of the people in the office, you know, it's not necessarily all their personal things, but, you know, you sort of ask someone how they are today and you hear a little bit about what they've been up to and you don't get that time for the chat as much when you're on Zoom because you're sort of on back-to-back or, you know, it's one person at a time. I'm looking forward to that informality and learning a little bit more about what people are up to. Luke? With absolutely the environment of an office where you make the jokes, you have a laugh, as hard as you work, there are always those little moments uh, that, that, that can switch off, which is maybe just a minute, and then you switch on again, but it gives you the, exactly that kind of energy again to, to go further. And, and, and yes, it's, ultimately, it's the, the social element of being in an office with colleagues. Let's say the, the exposure with, that you have also when talking to people to different ideas, to different views, to uh, either work-related or maybe just something social. But uh, yeah, uh, that is definitely uh, the thing I'm looking forward to again when we can go back to the office. For me on a personal level, that's a bit more prosaic in that I'd um, like to be able to do a Zoom call without being Zoom bombed by my children um, <laughs> and not having to tidy my attic uh, or not. <laughs> San Luke, if we had had this crisis or this pandemic 10 years ago, do you think the industry would have stood up as well? And, and if not, why not? Well, for, I guess for those of us who lived and worked through the global financial crisis, you could say we had a bit of a test run of it, but I, socially it wasn't anywhere near as disastrous as, as COVID and, and as precarious for people. Um, I think we would have found a way. I think the the risks and the things that went wrong would have been a lot more and a lot more significant. I think the, the financial services industry in particular is really, really adaptive when it puts its mind to it. We have so many smart people. We have a lot of capability. We have a lot of capital. We can put at things in most businesses. And I think we would have, we would have got through it just perhaps not as, as seamlessly as we have. It could have been, actually been a good catalyst had it happened 10 years ago. We probably would have had a lot, of, a lot of different models now, you know. I mean, do we think, because personally I feel, having also been through that crisis, that a lot of the regulation that came out of that, which everyone kicked and screamed and said, this is just a burden, has actually meant that the fact that the financial sector hasn't been seen as a particularly risky element is a direct result of that regulation, the need to have BC plans, the need to have disaster recovery plans, the fact the regulator can come in and check that, the fact that your technology systems have to also be formally documented and have have visibility to the regulator, not just something that uh, is going on in the background. I would agree because ultimately it is about how well do the people uh, that work for you, how well do they know their organizations, the process, the procedures, what can be done, what cannot be done. And they, I think in the last 10 years that, that awareness and that recognition probably has been 
elevated uh, quite a bit by which the reaction now has been probably smoother. I think also, let's say 10 years ago, cloud just at the beginning of, of development and, and that's definitely something that shouldn't be underestimated. I think the industry would have managed 10 years ago, but not as, I would almost say, as smoothly as it has up till now. Clearly, the challenges now lie ahead of us. There will be, from consumers, different views upon our industry as to how they want to engage with our industry. The, the, the fact that, let's say, any generation, not just, let's say, the younger generation, but I think any generation has now seen the benefit of technology, how it can work. So I think it is something that is not a question anymore, should we, but how will we engage more in technology, not just for our operations, but also with regards to our clients. How are we gonna engage with our clients through technology that is still in our industry uh, not very far developed, I would say. Yes, we have some platforms on which you can buy your investments, etc. But the real engagement with the client, that is, that is a limited impacted by technology, I would say. That, I think, will, will get a lot of attention going forward. And I think that that's an interesting point. The, the reason it hasn't probably evolved so quickly is more people in our industry not willing to do that and now it's been forced upon them and they realize actually it's it's it can be good i think we, we will see hopefully more personalized engagement with our clients and investors you know you have the ability to do that more efficiently and that's a that's a big plus with the technology because the technology's been there for a long time as we know right yeah. um it's just that we haven't necessarily had a willingness how many fund managers do you know or or, or salespeople say that they could have to go and visit the client physically fly across the world to go see them they don't and they can sit there and have an hour's conversation with a cup of coffee and talk about the investments talk about what they're doing talk about what they're thinking about and that's scalable that's a scalable much closer chat about you really delivering value for an investor it increases your productivity and it's also a compliance officer's dream and that <laughs> they can record your zoom conversation there's no false promises you know that We've certainly had clients who've had to go through the tapes and there were conversations that perhaps happened face-to-face -face and so you're relying on minutes. Productivity and compliance-wise, this, this could be a real game-changer. Yeah, but, but I just think access, if you think about it, clients, access to the, the, the person who's running their investment for them is, is a lot more personal. It's a lot more personalised and concentrated. You can have a conversation about it, but that can actually be transferred over if it's more about a particular killer topic you could actually cut and reuse that content and share it with other investors who might have the same sort of interests but i think you can really start to advance that engagement that luke was sort of referring to really there's four things i'm taking away from this you know the first one which i'll be honest was a surprise to me but as you mentioned it time it's fairly obvious is around asset management uh, has been reporters being very successful through this crisis, but not necessarily thinking about people on the ground who are important in terms of technical teams and making valuations assessments, which impact the end investors. The second point is we've got a need within this new BCP in terms of training, understanding and awareness. It's not just about can we do it, it's how to do it in the right way. 
and make sure employees, not just the COO team, can get involved. And I guess that's similar to that digital transformation theme where it's not just for the guys in tech, it's for everyone to embrace this. And then we've talked about the cloud. I think you you summed it up again, Tan, in terms of the BC. The BCP is going to be increasingly because of the way that we're able to move online fairly seamlessly within financial services or within asset management, that disaster recovery will merge into BCP and that will just be uh, an ongoing theme and something that we are, we'll be fairly flexible about switching into. And I guess that final point is the BAU around, I guess for me, it's a happy point is that we still will want that social contact. So we are going to go back into the office. We will want to have those coffee meetups. And if there is more working from home, then there is still going to be something that we're going to have to engineer in terms of getting back. I'd add, I'd add one thing there, just yeah. a, I think it's an important thing to think about, is the, the asset management industry, it, the cost of its people is probably one of the biggest costs, the, the footprint of, the, of human capital for, for asset or investment management firms and wealth management firms. What we, what we probably will see is a huge margin improvement because there'll be less travel there'll be a greater use of technology. This is a real step change in the use of technology. I mean, you even hear wealth management, account managers and stuff being able to now visit clients online rather than having to physically travel to, to meet their, their, their clients, you know, in the wealth space or in the IFAs. They don't have to go and spend those hours on the road traveling around trying to find a parking space. They can actually engage and to do that is, is going to be more profitable, I think, for a lot of firms. So that could be a real change to the margins. And even in a recent uh, Moody's in, uh, Investor Services report, that is also what they highlight. And they say this situation will, will be a very powerful catalyst for an accelerated migration uh, to, digital, to digital processes and services, but for both consumers and businesses. Mm. Uh, and in that sense, that, that supports also, uh, let's say, your views on, uh, on those things. So I think that is to add a fifth point to Chris's list of the takeaways, I definitely think uh, there is, there is a, a second uh, positive one there. Yeah. So I think it's now time. We've, we've done BCP. It's time for um, those cycling trips that we're going to plan. Now we'll go to Tan, remembering that you're going to be on a super fast racing bike. I'm on my bike that I haven't had service for a year and Luke is on this enormous Dutch thing that goes about five miles an hour. So um, where are you going to take us and are we allowed any cake? Uh, well, I have ridden with Luke before and I don't think you should let the weight of his bike deceive you. I think he's still pretty able to keep up. And <laughs> in, in the Dutch spirit, he's certainly not bad on a bike. Yeah. Um, where would I go? Well, ideally, I'd like to take you to the Dolomites in Italy, but that's probably a little off the radar for now. Um, but no, I think I think one of my favourite places is down in Pease Lake. It's a little bit of a, a trek if, if you're not on a road bike, but um, it's one of my favourite spots to just sit and have. It's a tiny little corner shop that sits in a little tiny village. It's the hub for a lot of mountain bikers and cyclists passing through. There's a little spot in the bus at the bus shelter that everybody sits at and you know, the handmade coffees, they're like, you know, it's almost like a instant coffee. It's not great coffee, but the whole experience of just stepping into the shop in your cycling kit, little corner shop, they make you a coffee, you go take the mug and you sit outside and they come out and collect the mugs from you when you, you know, when you're finishing or you, you, you pick them up and you drop them back in. So it's a really cool experience. So that, and, and it's a beautiful area this time of year, especially in spring, it's lovely. Awesome. Luke, we'll go to you. What I go a little bit, uh, let's say, as I have my Dutch bike, I'll, 
uh, probably take it back to the Netherlands. And I would take uh, my mother, who has been in confinement now for more than 10 weeks, I would take her on a, on a bike ride, uh, uh, a nice and leisurely bike ride through the countryside and literally the time really catch up with her. Brilliant. I think we will start off with Pease Lake because it's, it's nearest. And I think I may, it may well have been there back in the past. So there's a lovely spot. And then we'll, we'll plan a trip to Holland uh, later in the year. So, Tan, Luke, thank you very much. Uh, that was a fascinating podcast. I think uh, BCP uh, may seem like a dry topic, but you've certainly made it something that's uh, interesting and something that we'll be watching closely to see how that develops. And I know our clients will be as well. So thank you for joining us on this podcast and we look forward to uh, on our next podcast. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon with the next instalment of Coffee with Algamy Consulting. It's goodbye from us. Thank you.